Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily, also known as the DSR Daily Doom Scroll, in which we take a look at the big stories that are circulating around the world right now, and we provide a little bit of insight into not just what they're about, but maybe what they mean. I'm one of your hosts, David Rothkopf. Your other hosts are Chris Cottenwer. How you doing, Chris? Doing well, thank you. And the truly great... Um, world-renowned Riley M. Fessler. How are you doing, Riley? I'm doing great after that intro. Thank you. That's a great intro. What does the M stand for? Michael. Oh, that's kind of boring. That's that's (laughs) That's my brother's name. Is it? It's my dad's name. Kind of a, well, okay, I'm not going to diss your dad. Um, uh, All right. Uh, Chris, what's your top story right now happening in the world? Uh, As the Russia-Ukraine war drags on and as Congress continues uh, to drag its feet on providing funding for Ukraine, uh, Putin gave his annual, I guess, State of the Union speech in which he was asked about uh, Russia's um, progress and outcomes uh, of the war. Um, And he essentially said, that he sees Western support drying up um, and, you know, that Russia, and he's kind of said this all along, uh, that Russia would continue to outlast Ukraine um, and that eventually uh, support would would completely dry up. And, you know, frankly, um, he seems emboldened by the fact that Congress can't get their shit together. Um, I still think there are a lot of people in this country who don't quite grasp what's at stake in terms of, uh, you know, if, if Russia is successful uh, in their uh, attacks and military operation in, in Ukraine. Um, and it's not an easy topic either to convey, um, you it, know, to no, the American people. I, I disagree. It's super easy. These people are betraying the United States of America. They are helping Putin. They're undermining our allies. They're making it more likely that Putin emboldened continues into Europe. And whereas we've been able to avoid putting U.S. troops on the ground in Ukraine because of the way that that has played out, if the tide turns and he continues forward, he enters any NATO country and we are obligated to put U.S. troops on the ground. Uh, and that changes the stakes tremendously. 
There is a brilliant column on this today. The GOP's refusal to fund Ukraine's defense is an absolute scandal. It's in the Daily Beast, and it's by me. Um, Okay, maybe it's not brilliant, but it does capture this. Also, Ed Luce had a great column on this yesterday at the Financial Times. I encourage you to read them both, uh, because even if a deal comes through, and there was progress yesterday on the immigration things that the Republicans say they want in order to release this money, damage has been done. Putin has been emboldened. People don't trust the U.S. They know that if Trump comes in, it's all over for support for Ukraine, that the MAGA cult within the GOP, which dominates the GOP, has switched sides. They're not on the side of the United States of America anymore. Riley? Sorry, could I just say, I think how you've put that, though, is as succinct as I've heard, which is essentially, if Russia is successful and Russia decides they're going to attack other NATO countries, then the U.S. is obligated to put troops on the ground. Like, that's, that's, that's the message. I mean, that is the message. So yeah, yeah. Well, I totally agree with you, and I I have to say, sometimes as much as I love the Biden administration and the Democratic Party, many of my former colleagues, they're just not good at delivering the cold hard facts in a cold hard way. Um, and so, but you know, everybody out here, you know, everybody who's listening to this podcast has a social media page; they can communicate this. And I think sometimes it requires a little bit of a grassroots effort to get the word out. Everybody's got to realize they have a platform. And if you think a better message needs to be conveyed, given the stakes here in the U.S. right now, convey it. Riley? Well, uh, I'll preface my three stories by saying none of them are good news. So prepare yourselves. But my first story is about the Supreme Court. Uh, They've announced that they will make a decision on a case uh, during this term that could limit the use of the drug mifepristone, which is half of a two-drug regimen that is used in more than half of abortions in the United States. So the premise for this is essentially that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is a conservative court, said that the FDA did not follow proper procedures when it started loosening some of the restrictions for obtaining the drug. Um, so some of the changes in question that are being challenged are allowing the drug to be mailed directly to patients, allowing it to be taken later during a pregnancy, and allowing it to be prescribed by medical professionals that are not doctors. Um, So the silver lining of this is that the court has said that they will not hear the case uh, related to the drug's initial approval in 2000, meaning that there is not a chance that it's going to be removed from the market, um, but it will be made if they rule uh, in favor of this, it will be made more difficult to obtain. Um, and the other side of this, aside from abortion access, is that critics say it will also be a major challenge to the autonomy of federal agencies in terms of making decisions. So it's a big case. will have far-reaching consequences, uh, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, and it's like, you know, for years you've been hearing um, Republican candidates saying, Judges should not make the law from the bench. Judges should not be activists. They should be originalists. But this is judicial activism. It's going a step further. It's judges saying, we know better than the scientists. We know better than the regulators. And 
it achieves a goal of the Republican Party and the Federalist Society and the big donors behind all this, which would be to reduce the power of the executive branch substantially. There'll be several cases like that this year. Uh, And frankly, America, frankly, people around the world watching America, doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. It may, it may, these things may go in the wrong direction uh, and they may uh, damage the United States. So it is a, it is a, it is a worrisome case. Uh, Chris? The House yesterday voted to move forward with an impeachment inquiry of President Biden, despite the fact that they have no evidence uh, to support such an inquiry. Um, but that's, to me, the big problem. Uh, the vote was along party lines. Um, frankly, um, whether the results of the inquiry, uh, result in any sort of evidence being found, which I doubt, um, that does not necessarily mean that the Republicans could not move forward with a, a vote, uh, at some point in the future on impeaching the president. The president is not at all in danger of being ousted. Uh, because the Senate would never vote for him to be convicted, um, but this just shows the the you know the political divisions are driving. You know we're going to spend I don't know how many months, how much money, uh, investigating a nonsensical uh, scenario um, and potentially again moving forward with a with an impeachment hearing for a president who has done uh, uh, a frankly a rather tremendous job with what he inherited in 2020. Yeah, this is second grade schoolyard level politics. You know, I know you are, but what am I kind of stuff? And it's, well, you're going to impeach Trump, then we're going to impeach you. And it's like, well, yeah, but there's actually no underlying crime. Well, I don't care if there's crime. Uh, We need the impeachment investigation to determine whether there's a crime which is not how impeachment investigations are supposed to work. There's no evidence, as you say. Uh, It's completely absurd. It's a waste of time. And let's just remember um, the first story that Chris was talking about. This Republican Party doesn't care enough to support U.S. national security with a deadline at a critical moment. Instead, they want to do this performative uh, puppet show um, and, uh, you know, entertain their base, uh, while, uh, you know, undermining the credibility of the institution in which they serve and letting U S national security suffer. It's appalling. Riley, what other bleak stories do you have for us today? Um, we're living up to the daily doom scroll name here. <laughs> yeah, without question. So bad news out of Japan, Uh, Their government is embroiled in a major fraud scandal with several key officials in their ruling Liberal Democratic Party resigning. The allegations are that 3.5 million U.S. dollars in fundraising proceedings are missing from party accounts, which is a pretty serious allegation. The chief cabinet secretary, economy economy and industry minister, internal affairs minister, and agricultural ministers have all stepped down. Uh, and five deputy ministers have been fired as a direct result of this. They all come from the Abe faction of the LDP, uh, which is, of course, named after former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, which is the biggest and most powerful faction in that party. So pretty sweeping issue here. 
Uh, investigators are expected to begin searching their offices next week and expanding it to see if members of the other factions are involved. And it's, of course, taken a major hit to the popularity of the current prime minister. Uh, support has plummeted to around 23%. So huge issue there. And from what I read, a lot of the opposition parties are pretty fragmented and weak right now. So there's not necessarily a chance that they're going to step in to step up for this. But investigations ongoing, it remains to be seen kind of what actually happened here and who else is involved. These things seem remote. It's not remote. It's a vitally important ally. It's a vitally important counterbalance um, uh, in uh, to the rise of China. Uh, one of the most important accomplishments, as Jake Sullivan mentioned it when he, we did our thing earlier this week, the event, uh, what you know was the 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 new negotiation between uh, and cooperation between Japan and South Korea. Um, it's a pity to see things like that, uh, even slightly distracted by these events. Uh, and of course, you have this massive uh, influx um, of of leading popular Japanese people to the United States, led by Shohei Otani. Um, who is now getting paid $700 million to spend the next 10 years in Los Angeles. If the government of Japan continues to falter, think how many people will follow in his footsteps. Although they won't get $700 million. But, you know, Yoshinabu Yamamoto, the great Japanese pitcher, will be next up to sign with a U.S. team. Um, And, Chris, it won't be the Boston Red Sox. We'll see. We have our own Japanese contingent. Don't, don't, don't you worry. By the way, folks, I'm just kidding, and I'm sorry to mention sports ball again. And the last time I mentioned sports ball, we got some comments from people saying, "Don't mention sports ball during the sacred DSR Daily Doom Scroll." We're sorry. I apologize, and I don't mean to be disrespectful of the Doom Scroll, Chris. Uh, so we heard a couple weeks ago that sentiment seemed to start uh, moving toward uh, Hamas. Um, and now there's a survey that's out that backs this up, where nearly three in four Palestinians believe that the October 7th attack in Israel um, was warranted. They support it. Um, I can't say that I'm surprised, given the fact that Israel is pounding Gaza each and every day that there is a shortage of food um, and other uh, necessities um, for these citizens. Um, and we've even seen, obviously, we've seen in the past you know week because of the hearings on Capitol Hill with college presidents. Um, you know there there does seem to be sentiment for Hamas, and I can't help but wonder if that was factored into the calculus of you know them attacking and obviously knowing what was going to come of those attacks um but they you know this this again this just shows it's a it's it's a disturbing development but like how what are they supposed to do you know they don't have um somebody fighting (laughs) for their i mean the international support if that wanes it's 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 getting it's getting bad. And you said this a couple of weeks ago that we were, uh, we haven't seen the worst of, of what's happening in, in Gaza and you were a hundred percent right. Well, yeah. And, uh, right now, uh, uh, the U S national security advisor, 
uh, Jake Sullivan is actually uh, talking to the Israelis. Um, with this in mind, this has been a big week in terms of this. The president of the United States has come out much more critical of the Israelis uh, than he had been before, talking about world opinion turning against him. This Sullivan mission is another sign of the growing tension. Um, uh, and, uh, you, you know, you're right, because you hear a lot of people, particularly people who are supportive of the Israeli side, saying, well, you know, it's a choice between Israel and Hamas. And the, the real issue is, well, what about the millions of Palestinians who are not represented by Hamas? They're not represented by an effective government. Um, but, you know, they don't have a lot of choices, and um, and they're deeply, deeply uh, angry, as they have every reason to be, with their treatment by Israel. And if Hamas is, you know, one of the available avenues to express that, then you get this kind of support. Shibley Talami, who is a professor at the University of Maryland and a senior fellow at Brookings, and a good follow um, on on Twitter on these things if you want to have some balance, some perspectives that are more open-minded to the perspectives of the Palestinians, uh, had a tweet out about this poll. He called it a reliable poll. First of all, he said most Palestinians don't believe Hamas committed the atrocities on 10-7. He says most say Hamas attacked to counter settler attacks on Al-Aqsa and the Palestinians. They say most say Israel's aim is to destroy Gaza and kill and expel residents uh, there's, you know, imagine you're a Palestinian. Of course, that you would think that was their aim because that's what's happening. Uh, and it says 64% uh, percent of Gazans have a killed or wounded family member. Think about that a second. Two thirds of the people of Gaza have a family member who's been killed or wounded. So, you know, imagine what that does to public opinion. Uh, and as Chris said, most support the Hamas attack. And Hamas's popularity has increased. Now, whether you uh, support one side or the other or both or neither, one thing to recognize from a poll like this that says Hamas's popularity has increased is that Israel's, counter, Israel's offensive here is failing. If the goal is to weaken Hamas and their popularity is increasing, this is precisely what people who are involved with U.S. counterinsurgency operations warned at the very beginning of the Israeli operation that when you go in and you kill people indiscriminately, this is what results. There's also another study out today that showed that of the bombs dropped by Israel, half were not precision-guided bombs. Half were so-called dumb bombs that just fall where they fall, uh, that, are, that, that have produced much higher uh, collateral damage. Uh, so, uh, again, the story gets bleaker and bleaker. Riley, last story. Well, I had to highlight my, my home state. Um, unfortunately, not for good news either. Uh, Ohio legislators passed a ban on gender-affirming care for minors, so they're the latest state to do this uh, in a kind of growing trend. Um, and it's, it's not too surprising. The Ohio legislature is completely dominated by Republicans. They have a supermajority. Um, so there's no chance this doesn't get signed by the governor. And if it doesn't, they have the supermajority to overrule the veto. So this will certainly be put into law. It has the very doublespeak name of Saving Adolescents from Experimentation Act, which is just disgusting to me. Um, it prohibits hormone therapy, puberty blockers, and gender reassignment surgery for anyone under 18. And the sponsor of the bill 
said that it is, quote, not about culture wars, but about medical ethics, which is bullshit. Because if you look at who was speaking against the bill and for it, against was the most significant kind of members of the medical community for children in Ohio, including the CEO of the Ohio Children's Hospital Association. Um, and he gave some interesting figures, which is that of the roughly 3,300 children whose first appointment at a clinic was before they were 18, only 60 or 65% were never prescribed medication. So you have to think that it's a pretty small number of people who are receiving this treatment in the first place um, that they felt that they needed to write this, make this bill to target those people. I find reprehensible um, when it's already an incredibly vulnerable population in the States that they're continuing to be targeted is just no, no question about it. And, you know, it is a sign. It relates back to the Mepha Preston story uh, that uh, the uh, right wing in America is attacking what many Americans had considered fundamental rights and stripping them away one by one, uh, many of them having to do with medicine and healthcare. Uh, where they don't listen to doctors, they listen to religious extremists. Uh, they follow litmus tests of politics, um, uh, and they don't take into consideration um, either the best interests of patients um, or fundamental rights of people. We saw this earlier this week with a woman who had to leave Texas in order to get an abortion. Uh, in order to escape pain and suffering associated with being told by the Texas Supreme Court that she had to bring to term a child with a rare um, birth defect. We've seen this in other states uh, as well. And uh, we see this with things like the Mephipreston case. And yesterday, Kellyanne Conway, the former advisor to the president, said, you know where we should look now in this campaign? Contraceptives. And uh, uh, many people felt that when Roe went down, one of the next things that, that, that uh, Republicans would start to target is the open sale of contraceptives in the United States. So this is going to send us hurtling back 60 years in time. Um, uh, and it's, a, it's a, just a terrifying development. And it, it, it just reminds um, how stark the choice is before the people of the United States in 2024. So that's it. That's our stories for today. There's no good news anywhere, uh, except for, I suppose, if you're a Dodger fan. Um, but, uh, 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 well, uh, we've got a podcast coming up later today looking at the surprising outcome of COP28. And uh, we've got a couple of experts who are there and who will provide some insight into how it arrived at that outcome, where it falls short, where it was uh, exceeded expectations. Uh, the, the response in the press yesterday was generally that it exceeded expectations. Um, so it, we shall, we shall uh, talk about that. You don't want to miss that. Um, and, uh, and we've got more interesting things coming up later in the week. So keep following us here. We'll be back tomorrow. And until then, bye-bye.